You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Here is the miraculous work of the outpouring of the Spirit of God into our hearts. Having never seen Him, we's in love with Him. How many of you love Jesus? Amen? Now, how in the world do you love somebody you've never met? You've never personally seen? How, how did it happen? That's what happens when you get saved. When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, your spirit man comes alive, and your spirit and his spirit become one. And the first thing that happens is, I can't explain it, but I love him. When you're burdened by the weight of life's challenges, how do you respond? When you're stuck in a pit with no way out, how do you overcome it all? In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you can find refuge by laying your burdens at his feet. God wants nothing more than to see you be the beautiful person He has always wanted you to be. Step into the liberating truth that by giving your struggles to God, you'll find a source of solace and freedom. Discover a path to serenity, solace, and a profound sense of peace. Be transformed by the grace of God. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Your Salvation. When they hear that gospel, and the Holy Spirit touches them, and they feel conviction that anybody can be saved. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that word begotten is loaded. It's pregnant with meaning, okay? It means new birth, born again. He has begotten you. You you have literally been in the spirit conceived by God. You're born again. That threw Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel, when Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, I'm telling you that you're going to have to be born again. He said, how can I be born again? Crawl into my mother's womb again? Or what are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus said, you've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. You've got to be born again twice. First time you're born, the water breaks in the mother and the baby is born. Born of water, then you got to be born of the Spirit second time. Get saved again, that it, or born again, uh, and come to Christ and experience that new nature. If any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, they are a brand new creation of God. Okay? So, We're born again to a living hope, begotten unto a living hope. Now, when you study the epistles of Paul, John, and Peter, you'll find they all had a favorite word. They really do. They they all have a favorite they use more than any other. Let me tell you what they were. Paul's favorite word, what do you think it was? Faith. Everybody say faith. faith. By grace you are saved through and that knowledge of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Now, that was Paul's favorite word. You'll see him say it over and over again. He's huge on faith. We're saved by faith, not by works. That was his mantra. John's favorite word, what do you think it is? My little children love one another. John loved love. You can't read 1st or 2nd or 3rd John without coming across it over and over again. Peter's favorite word was hope. And interestingly, in the Bible, faith, hope, and love are the most popular trilogy of words. 
faith, hope, and love. So through Paul, you're going to hear about faith. Through John, you're going to hear about love. Through Peter, you're going to hear about living hope. Peter calls our hope living. Hope always has the future in mind. Hope, when you've got hope, you have a confident expectation that something good is coming towards you in the future. You don't wake up and dread the future. You wake up and you're excited about the future. What is God going to do next? What door is he going to open? What is the Holy Spirit going to show me next time? Uh, You know, you're excited when you wake up. You've got a reason to live. That's why hope is the oxygen of the soul. You can't live without hope. I can't live without hope. Oh, I can, my heart can beat, but I will die on the inside as a human being without hope. Got to breathe it spiritually. The believer's great hope ultimately is this, triumphant rapture to glory. The rapture is coming. The rapture of the church is coming. Jesus is coming again. Do you hope for that? Do you hope for that? You know, there are churches in America and around the world that if you went in there and you preached on the second coming of Christ, they would give you the boot and tell you, we don't go there anymore. We don't believe that anymore. We just want to do good things for people. And they take away the great hope. Our great hope is that a trumpet's going to blow. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us that are still walking around shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Amen. Amen. And, and that, that kind of living hope, that's, what, that's why Peter is talking about it. Because he said, look, you've got a living hope. So let that hope carry you through this troubled world, uh, this, the, this world of trial, this world where there are Nero's. Let your hope carry you above it. Let your hope transcend the problems around you. Let your hope, keep your eyes peeled on that certain hope that he's coming. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and always lives to make intercession for you and me. How did Jesus endure the cross? The hope set before him. Do you catch that, church? Ooh, I could preach that. If this was Sunday morning, I would take off on that and I wouldn't touch another thing tonight. Because it says, he endured the cross for the hope set before him. For the hope. What was his hope? I'm coming back from the dead and I'm going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And I'm going to bring in a whole new world. I'm going to destroy Satan. I'm going to take from his gnarly hands the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I'm going to deliver mankind, everybody who calls upon my name. I'm going to be the redeemer, the savior. All these things are going to happen for me on the other side of the cross. So for the joy set before him, the hope set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame. He describes our future inheritance. Here comes some wonderful words. Verse 4, to inheritance, everybody say with me, incorruptible, undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved 
in heaven for me. Let me just break these apart real quick. The word inheritance comes from the Greek word for inherited property. Inherited property. We call it glory, heaven, our future home. This glorious new world is going to be free of natural disasters and wars. Amen? See, see, I've got an inheritance. An inherit. How would you like it if tomorrow you received a, a, a certified letter from an attorney that said, well, guess what? Your distant um, relative died and they left to you five million bucks as an inheritance. How many of you would do cartwheels, jump and shout and scream and call everybody you know and fall on your face and thank God and wouldn't be able to sleep that night? How many of you would go bazooka over that? We ought to feel the same way about our coming inheritance. We've got an inheritance. That beautiful place called heaven that we've inherited through the blood of Christ, no more war, no more carnivorous activity. I love this. Creatures aren't going to eat each other anymore and we're not going to be eating them. Yeah. The lion will lay down with the lamb. They'll all get together. You know, we used to say, can't we all just get along? In the millennium, we will all just get along. Right? Uh, all carnivorous activity gone. Deserts are going to blossom like the rose, Isaiah wrote. Crime will be no more. No more bar bars on windows. No more locked doors. No more need for police. I love the police. We honor the police. But they will lose their job in the millennium. The millennium will fully defund the police. It'll defund every law enforcement agency on the planet. And then here's the cool thing. All people will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So everybody say inheritance. Now, he also says it'll be incorruptible, which means incapable of decay. Our city will have no mold in it, no rust, no wear and tear. Things won't break down, fall apart, crumble, no more decay because it's incorruptible. No more cities falling apart. No, no. Then he says undefiled. The very same Greek word is used to describe Jesus, our great high priest. He's undefiled. Our coming home, heaven, will be in the same way, undefiled. It means free from all contamination. All contam physical and spiritual. There'll be no more contamination. No smog. Amen. No stuff filling the air. I remember one time flying into a certain city, and until you got way down to almost the airport, you couldn't see it. There was so much smog. Not heaven. Heaven is going to be clear as Christian. The devil attacked our Lord viciously on earth, but he remained uncontaminated. Amen? He touched the leper, but it didn't contaminate him. He touched a corpse, but it didn't contaminate him. Uh, uh, and our new home is going to be free of all moral and spiritual filth. Clean, pure, pristine. That's our coming inheritance. Amen. 
And I like this. Peter says, our home will never fade away. It won't fade away. Everything on this earth eventually fades away. You know, Cindy and I moved here about a year and a half ago. I had a house built. I was able to sell the house that I had paid off after living in it for 29 years in uh, North Fort Worth. And so we took that and came here and built a house, brand new house. But you know what? A couple of weeks ago, or really last week, we're outside and we turned on the hose. Wasn't very much water pressure. This was after the freeze. And I began to see water dripping way behind the faucet. I had to call and found out that even though I had covered that thing up with a faucet cover and rags and rubber bands and zip ties, I had protected that thing every way I could. That cold got in and broke a pipe. It'll never happen to your house in heaven. No, no broken pipes in heaven. It'll never fade. It'll never suffer wear and tear. And Peter says, reserved in heaven for you. Can, I, can you say it with me, reserved in heaven for me? Can we say it again, reserved in heaven for me? Can we thank the Lord that it's reserved in heaven for me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we've got an eternal home that is reserved in heaven for us. We've got a reservation. Amen. It doesn't make you feel good when you go to a hotel and there's 30 people in line, but you get to step up and say, I've got a reservation. And here is my reservation number. And that reservation gets you in. Doesn't it make you feel good? Can I tell you, you've got a reservation into heaven. Amen. A reservation. It means kept, guarded, and preserved. It literally means watched over. No one and no thing is going to steal away from you your heavenly inheritance. It's reserved and preserved, awaiting your arrival. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. You and I are kept. How? The power of God. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The word kept there, another powerful word. It's a military term. It means uh, uh, that we are held fast. It's like when a prisoner is cuffed, all right? They are kept by the authority. In a good way, you and I are being kept by the power of God, preserved. It's the word used to describe how Paul's enemy, the governor of Damascus, kept the city of Damascus under armed guard, hoping to lay hands on Paul. The power of God is keeping you and me. You know, people so often talk about, well, you know what? I'm just a little concerned because you can so easily lose your salvation. They're always talking about how people can lose it. I'd rather talk about how God can keep it how God can keep you and God can keep me. I am being kept. Can we say together, I'm being kept by the power of God. Guess what? We, we have an invisible angelic bodyguard all around us, as well as God's Holy Spirit within us. And God has said, once you come to him, no man will pluck you out of my hands. Why? Because I'm keeping you. You are kept by the power of God. 
I believe that believers walking under the Lordship of Christ are invincible until their time comes. You're being kept. You're being kept. Peter knew what he ta- was talking about when Herod threw him in prison. They, they were telling him, your end comes tomorrow. They're going to pull you out in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of all the people, and they're going to take your head tomorrow, Peter. But the church prayed. And what happened? An angel appeared. What did the angel do? As soon as the angel came into the room, his chains fell off. And the prison door swung open. And Peter stood up and walked out. And then the gates on the outer court opened as well. Can you imagine this? Peter's thinking he's in a dream. But no, it's an angel delivering him. Why? Because it wasn't his time. He was kept by the power of God. Say with me, so am I. Amen. Peter says, this great salvation in which we stand is ready to be revealed. Uh, This phrase comes from the Greek word apocalypto, which you know is uh, the word for the book of Revelation, from which we get the word apocalypse, apocalypto, apocalypse. Uh, It points to the time when Jesus is returning. Behold, he comes with clouds. Every eye will see him. And they also which pierced him. And all kindred of the earth will wail because of him. Even so, amen. Peter says, you're being kept until the return of Christ is revealed. You are being kept for that great day. Amen. It's all ready for you and me. God's grace is being extended to a wicked world right now. And that grace is all that holds everything back. When the last person has been saved, and did you know that in the eyes of heaven, there's going to come an hour, a moment, a second, when the last person is going to be saved. And God's going to know, that's the last one. And when that happens, he's going to say, blow the trumpet. Son, go get your bride. And up we go. Paul uses the expression, the last time. He says, the last time, the last time. Um, The last days. We first find the expression, the last times or the last days in the book of Genesis. When Jacob was dying and he's blessing his 12 sons and he prophesied. And he said, gather together that I may tell you what is going to befall you in the last days. That's way back in Genesis. The same expression is found 14 times in the Old Testament, the last days. But according to the Bible, the whole Bible, the New Testament, the last times began with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews says, God, catch this now, Hebrews 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So the last days began way back in the first century when Jesus rose from the dead. The last days calendar began. Now I believe we're in the last of the last days. But the last days have been going on for 2,000 years, the age of grace. When whosoever will, let him call upon the name of the Lord, he'll be saved. The age of grace. 
We're in the last days right now. Amen? And uh, I believe the last of the last days began when Israel became a nation in 1948. That set everything in motion, the last of the last days. Now, in the meantime, God's people are being kept by the power of God through faith. Are you thankful you're being kept by the power of God? In anticipation of the great unveiling of Jesus Christ to the world, think of how our faith, as we experience it here on earth, not only carries us through, and here's Peter's message. I know you're in hard times. I know you're in fiery trials. I know you're struggling to pay the bills or against some sickness or all kinds of things have gone south on you. People have walked out on you. You have been betrayed, left to blow in the wind. You're not sure which way to turn. You don't understand what all is going on in the culture. It's confusing. You wish, you wish sometimes you had a better grip on God's presence, experienced it more. Peter's message to all of us tonight is your faith carries you as you look towards the certain coming of Christ and say to yourself, I reckon, yep, Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. Amen. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, verse 7, though it is tested by fire, may be found in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love verse 8. We're closing with these last two verses. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you don't see him, yet believing, you rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. How do we rejoice? By believing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. He says to these scattered people, here is the miraculous work of the outpouring of the Spirit of God into our hearts. Having never seen him, we's in love with him. How many of you love Jesus? Amen. Now, how in the world do you love somebody you've never met? You've never personally seen? How, how did it happen? That's what happens when you get saved. When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, your spirit man comes alive, and your spirit and his spirit become one. And the first thing that happens is, I can't explain it, but I love him. <laughs> I cannot tell you in words how it happened, but I love him. I, I love him. Amen. Do I love him perfectly? No. Do I love him better than I did last year? Yes, hopefully. Am I going to love him better next year? Yes, if I continue pursuing him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Remember when the Queen of Sheba, and I'm closing with this, Queen of Sheba finally met Solomon, and she said, wow. She said, everything I heard about you, the half was never told me because now I'm seeing you. And seeing you, I know I never had the full picture till now. You know what we're gonna say to Jesus when we get to heaven? The half wasn't told me. Now I see it all and I'm overwhelmed, amen? 
In today's message from Pastor Jeff, he showed you the importance of storing up treasures in heaven by wholeheartedly submitting to God's purpose. Align your life with God's plan and prioritize heavenly treasures over earthly pursuits. As you navigate the challenges of life, let your submission to God's purpose be a means of accumulating spiritual riches. Don't get caught with your tail between your legs and be prepared for imminent coming of Christ. If you're interested in learning about Hardwired, Diane has some things to share. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is go to our website and find the Donate tab. It's that easy. That website again is hardwired.org. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today, and thanks for listening to this radio ministry. Daniel has more to tell you about what's ahead on the upcoming edition of Hardwired. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know the importance of letting your salvation be a difference maker in the world. Allow the grace of your salvation to shape your interactions and influence the lives of those around you. Embody salvation in everything you do and let the change be a source of inspiration and hope to others. Be a catalyst for positive change, not just in your own life, but until the whole world hears the name of Jesus. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of 1 Peter, so be sure to join us again. And if you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we can be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.